It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome to a Tuesday edition of the Final Drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner bringing you the final drive and if you have not done so make sure you download the free sound of mobile app that's right folks it's a free download on any android or apple device that you may have to where you can correspond with us in the app we love to get and hear from you and get your responses and your comments on high school football, collegiate football, as well as the NFL and everything in between that we'll be talking about here on the final drive and also the opening kickoff as well. So that free downloadable Sound of Mobile app is a great way for you to correspond with us. And if you love, you can call us the old-fashioned way, 251-694-1055 is how you can reach us. And today, got a great show scheduled for you at 325 folks you don't want to miss Vern Lundquist of course Vern Lundquist Hall of Fame broadcaster and we'll go through memory lane with him about some of his most memorable and fantastic calls from everything from the NFL to the NBA to golf we'll talk it all with Vern Lundquist the legend of CBS and of course Fox Sports as well at four o'clock we'll talk to Chris Gordy and at 4 30 we'll talk to John Hendricks who will give us an update on the New Orleans Saints training camp so an outstanding final drive Tuesday Bronner how's it going my friend very well very well how's it going over there man absolutely too blessed to be stressed just trying to stay cool for sure and for those that that work outdoors god bless you man i I mean i know the heat wave continues to hit us and of course high school football getting started up yesterday and as we continue with our mobile county media days from a high school standpoint tomorrow and Thursday. Look forward to having coverage of that. And then, of course, the NFL Hall of Fame game gets kicked off on Thursday night. So, you know, it's that week to where we've been waiting and waiting and anticipating. And even though we probably won't see much on Thursday, it still gives us an opportunity to definitely know that football season has arrived. Yeah, do you see Kellen Mond is going to start the game for the Browns? Kellen Mond. A little blast from the SEC pass. Former Texas A&M quarterback Kellen Mond. If you remember his most famous kind of kind of moment in the NFL so far, he was uh, he was drafted by the Vikings. And Mike Z- Mike Zimmer, former coach of the Vikings, was asked if Kellen Mond is going to get a shot to play. This is when they were having injuries at quarterback, and he basically said no. 
And the reporter said, don't you want to get a, a look at him? You know, what's why, why now? Don't you want to get a look at him? And he said, well, I, I see him every day in practice. Uh, so, you know, kind of destroyed any hopes of Kellen Mond being a su- su- successful whoo, NFL quarterback there. But, well, you know, well, we'll you see know, him on Thursday. It is that time of year, though, to where you do have NFL that's getting started again, the Hall of Fame game on Thursday with the Jets and the Browns. And you, you really – you knew you weren't going to see the big dogs for probably not even a snap. Normally it used to be we'll get them in for a series. We won't even see a series now. It's let's go straight with the backups and get things started. And I know as we continue to talk high school football, I know this morning Sterling Dixon Jr. had an opportunity to join the opening kickoff as the newest member of the Spanish Fort Toros with Mark and Lee and kind of explained and talked about his decision to move to to Spanish Fort along with his family. And again, I have no problem with him making that move at all. And of course, Sterling Dixon Jr. being the the, the Alabama verbal commit, there, there was a lot of talk or chatter about the decision that he did make. And I think that, you know, you can try to put NIL together with high school athletics. This is not an NIL situation because, of course, there is no NIL in the state of Alabama. But this is something that his family felt was best for him from a competition level and for him to have the support and, of course, to contact his future coaches and for them to have his back, Nick Saban and Kevin Steele, supporting the transfer you would expect nothing more than for them to support the transfer just wanted to finish the season healthy because it looks like he's going to wind up being an early enrollee in Tuscaloosa anyway and having the ability to play 6a competition which is 6a region one the toughest region in the entire state of Alabama Uh, again a family decision is not a decision that that you can chastise or talk about a young man you may not like the culture of kids transferring but it happens all the time to where you see kids transfer from public schools to private schools and from private schools back to public schools for whatever reason but there's no need to sit and bash sterling dixon jr and his family for making the best decision for his family yeah i i think fans have a tendency it's probably increased with social media you know that that bashing. You know, keep in mind this is a sixteen, seventeen-year-old kid. Re- relax. It's it's going to be okay. Wherever he does play football, he's making the decision he feels is best for himself. And no matter what, he's still going to be at Alabama next year anyway. You know where he plays his senior year is a decision that he feels is in his best interest. It's it's going to be okay. You know, just because he didn't end up at your school or maybe ended up at a rival school, yours. You know, take take it easy. If you're if you're bashing a high school kid for where he wants to play his senior year, I mean. You kind of need to find something else better to do with your time. And, you and you know, like I said, I support his decision. I know his family is looking forward to the challenge that's going to be placed in front of Sterling Dixon Jr. And, you know, only being 12 sacks away from setting that record. Uh, the number 10 ranked senior recruit in the state is nothing to to shake your head at. I mean, having 172 tackles and 18 sacks. Uh, he's going to go down in Mobile Christian's history as probably one of the best 
players in the history of that school. And I know when you have that type of an elite athlete, yeah, of course you're, you're, you're going to hate that he leaves to go anywhere else. It's the same thing dealing with the injuries because you've seen great and elite players become injured and lose their entire junior or senior year. And to me, there's no difference because if, if you can't play, you can't play. And Sterling's already given up pretty much his entire sophomore year with with an injury that kept him sidelined from being able to play. But the support of Nick Saban and defensive coordinator Kevin Steele, I know in speaking with Mark and Lee this morning on the opening kickoff, it's great to know that, that your coaches have your back and that your family has your back no matter where you decide to play football, especially at the next level, to know that your future position coach and your future head coach just want you to be healthy and have the most productive season that you could have. Yeah, and I, I would fully expect him to be able to accomplish that over at Spanish Fort. You know, don't count against him breaking that sacks record. He only needs 12 of them, so... Well, I, I will say this, too. With the high school football, you know that college football is right around the corner. We have wrapped up all the conferences with their media days. And today, got a chance to see a little Post Malone with the ESPN hype video. Bronner, I, I know your playlist is vast, but do you, you ever pump a little Post Malone into your system? Hmm. Uh, I'd be lying if I said there wasn't a period in my life where I, I liked Post Malone at some point. I, I don't know if Post Malone is regularly coming up in my shuffle these days, uh, you know, maybe in high school. Yeah, Post Malone's okay. Not really, not really my thing, but, you know, he's, he's all right. And I, I think the song choice they used is, uh, is pretty good. I, the commercial was good. Post Malone. ESPN hype video has been dropped and we'll put it in the app as well for you guys to check it out because there's probably a lot of listeners trying to figure out who in the hell is Post Malone. Uh, but we'll go ahead and post that so you can go ahead and see some of the excitement and the video that goes along with it. But as, as we continue to talk college football, you know, I've had a lot of jobs in my life and I know a lot of other people out there have found other ways to, to earn money and to supplement their income. But when you have a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback saying that he supplemented his income by being a door dasher, that was one of the most interesting sound bites that I've heard come out of Bryce Young's mouth since he's been talking in front of a microphone. And Go ahead and say and admitting after COVID-19 that, look, man, before the NIL deals started hitting, Bryce Young was a DoorDash. And, of course, right post-COVID-19, everyone had on their mask, and it was hard to see people's face and identify them. And he probably he admitted that he did so with the mask and the hoodie on to deliver his DoorDash. But Bryce Young being a DoorDasher, did he ever deliver to you, Bronner, that you can recall? I'll say this. I don't order DoorDash. 
I'm I'm out on ordering DoorDash. Uh, you right, know, so I, you had to have a bad experience for you not. To no, get I just I just don't like paying an extra ten bucks on top of whatever the food <laughs> costs plus a tip. I mean, because I've driven DoorDash. Bryce Bryce and I are kindred spirits now. Okay. He he we're uh, he's just like me because I've dri- I've driven plenty for DoorDash. So you know I know the struggle of it, without a doubt. And you know when you when you don't get tipped, it's a frustrating feeling. But like if I'm if I have a car and I'm able to drive and I'm you know, I haven't. Uh, it's not a game day, and I haven't had a a couple of beverages, and I'm good to drive. Then I'm gonna drive and go get my food every time. I'm not. I'm not ordering DoorDash, so I'm not with that. But you know, I I, I do know the struggles of driving for DoorDash. So that's something that Bryce Young and I had in common that I didn't have on my bingo card for today. No, no doubt about I, that. I definitely didn't have it on my bingo card to to think that. You know, it's a way that before the NIL money started trickling in as he was the backup quarterback for him to to find a way to make money, especially coming off of COVID-19, man. Now, the fact that he went ahead and did admit it, I'm surprised that that missed Alabama's PR department at some point in time during his Heisman Trophy winning campaign, because that would have been one hell of a hook for him to go ahead and be able to to get even more NIL deals with DoorDash and now ultimately being the spokesperson for Bojangles and mentioning Bojangles, of course, affiliated with the Carolina Panthers organization. And I know that I turned you on to that Bowberry biscuit, man. I didn't try it. It did look good, though. I, I got to go get one now. The the, the Bowberry it, biscuit it lo- is... Ew, it looked good. It, it's the route to go, mm. and, and Bryce and I definitely have that in common. I got to get through three hours of no food here. Don't <laughs> tell me that. Mm. <laughs> so, so the stomach will be rumbling when you talk about the Bojangles route and the Bowberry biscuit but no I, I mean but from a Heisman trophy winner it, it again shows his work ethic to say he doesn't want things handed to him as a college student there's no silver spoon in his mouth he's just going to go ahead and work work out and that's one of the reasons that Bryce Young is probably one of the if not the most recognizable figure in the history of Alabama football it, it's because you know when when he got to Tuscaloosa coming from the West Coast, especially during the pandemic and sitting on the bench, man, he said, I'm going to DoorDash to make some extra bucks. It's not going to hurt my bank account. But I I bet you as soon as that first NIL deal hit, he's like, look. (laughs) I don't know if I'm going to keep on dashing. Yeah, probably, look, I'll dash away from defenders, but there's no need to DoorDash at all. And, of course, Bryce Young cashing in for that Heisman Trophy winner. And, you know, as far as being a Heisman Trophy winner, that's an elite company. That's a lot of an elite company. And on the other side of this break, we'll we'll talk briefly about yesterday. We talked about the Maxwell Award winners that were nominated. And, of course, only one Alabama player, Jace McClellan, was on that list for Maxwell Award, but there are more Bama players on the Outland Trophy and the Gursky Trophy watch list. We'll talk about those in South Alabama again being represented very well on many watch lists across the country. Nationally, there's nothing wrong with that. The other side of this break, the final drive comes right back. 
Hey there, this is Bob Baumauer, ex-jock, head fry cook, and I listen to 105.5 WNSP, Mobile, Alabama. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And coming up in just a few minutes, we'll have broadcast Hall of Famer Vern Lundquist joining us here on the final drive. Looking forward to that interview. And mentioned earlier, yesterday for sure, Maxwell Award winners for Alabama nominated just one, Jace McClellan. And today, your Nagurski Award Watch list comes out and includes includes South Alabama's Yam Banks, which I think that speaks about where his potential and performance may be as South Alabama's continued to want to control that NFL narrative to where next year having an opportunity to produce another NFL type player and someone here with Gulf Coast roots, DJ James from Auburn and Spanish Ford also on that Nagurski Trophy watch list. And, you you know, Kool-Aid McKinstry is definitely one of those players that I know you had a chance to, to meet at SEC Media Days. He's also on those watch lists as well. And Kool-Aid, definitely one of those who's definitely deserving to be on the Nagurski Trophy watch list as the top defensive player in the country. Yeah, for good reason, man. He's arguably, I won't say best defensive player in the country. He's the best corner in the country. Uh, you know, you got your Harold Perkins of LSU who might have something to say about best defensive player in the country, but he's certainly right up there. Uh, so good reason he's on the watch list and certainly could end up winning the thing with a great season. Uh, he's he's special, man. I think he's going to be a top five to ten pick in the NFL draft. I think he's going to be the, the key to Alabama's secondary this year, and uh, I think he's going to be a big part of the reason why Alabama's going to get back to playing elite defense. Even in the games that Alabama got shredded last year, see, like, Tennessee, he only gave up, like, two catches in that game. Uh, you know, he, he Kool-Aid was far from the reason why Alabama's defense struggled last year. You also look at Malachi Moore trying to bounce back and get his career revised along with Dallas Turner. All representatives, Dallas Turner and Kool-Aid McKinstry representing Alabama at SEC Media Day. So they're on the Nagurski Trophy watch list. So we're looking forward to seeing if Yam Banks can make his name as a finalist as the college football season unveils itself. Coming up next, we'll have Hall of Famer broadcaster Vern Lundquist joining us here on the final drive. Oh, my goodness is one of his final or favorite phrases. Look forward to talking to Uncle Vern, as we call him in this neck of the woods. Next on the final drive. This is Andrew Zow, Alabama former quarterback. You're listening to WNSP 105.5. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5 here in Mobile, Alabama. Corey LeBounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you this afternoon. And our next guest making his debut here on the final drive. It is a privilege and an honor to be talking with the one and only Vern Lundquist. How do you do? 
Corey, you're making me blush. <laughs> I, t- I tell you, Mr. Lundquist, it's a pleasure to be talking with you as, again, in many households for 16 years of SEC football. You were the voice uh, on CBS. And, and really, for a lot of Alabama and Auburn fans here, whether it was the Iron Bowl and the Kick Six or you look at the Prayer and Jordan Hare, You had an opportunity to call some of the greatest moments, not only of Alabama and Auburn football, but some of the greatest sporting memories of a lifetime. So tell us a little bit about it. Well, you're you're absolutely. I mean, you picked out two of my all-time favorites, uh, regardless of whatever sport I was in, which I was involved. the the prayer Jordan Hare and and uh, the kick six, uh, two weeks apart, uh, they are the two of the greatest college games I've ever seen. Two of the greatest athletic events I've ever seen. Uh, I share a story with you about uh, uh, the uh, the Georgia Auburn game. Uh, Nick Marshall they, he threw a, uh, a hail mary, the ultimate hail mary of all time, and uh, two. Uh, Two uh, Georgia guys went up. All they had to do was knock down. It was fourth and 18. Just knock the ball down. But they wanted the interception and the glory, I guess. And so they went for it and tipped it forward. And Ricardo Lewis leaned back and caught it. A very challenging catch and scooted in untouched. Well, uh, Auburn won the game. And on the on camera, Gary Danielson said, that is the greatest finish to a college football game I have ever seen. You will never, ever, ever see anything like that again. Two weeks. Two weeks, and we had Chris Davis returning a missed field goal 109 yards. Uh, So, you know, two games in three weeks uh, uh, summarize the essence of my experience of all those years I did SEC. Uh, they were just two of the most exhilarating examples of competition I think I've ever seen. Well, I, I tell you, you know, we love our football down here in the South, and they take it very seriously as well. But I, I'll give you a little flashback from my childhood and how six degrees of separation do work, okay? So John Pelfrey, of course, in the Duke versus Kentucky game, the historic 1992 game where Christian Lakner hits a shot that is heard around the world and, and will be played forever as one of the greatest moments, not only in NCAA history, but basketball history. Antonio Lang from Duke, of course, is right underneath the net. He's from Mobile, Alabama, LaFleur High School, and was Grant Hill's roommate. So when when you, you can't show that enough here in Mobile because Antonio Lang goes <laughs> on to be back-to-back national champions with Duke, but that call that you had right there, I know that you are going to remember the kick six in the prayer at Jordan-Hare, but from a college basketball standpoint, did it get any better than that call right there? No, never, never, ever. Uh, and and uh, I was lucky enough. Uh, Bill Raftery and I were partners for the last 15 years I did uh, college basketball, but we had been uh, – separated by management, one of those management decisions that is never explained, just uh, executed, 
And so I was working with Letty Elmore, a wonderful guy, Harvard grad, uh, a law school grad of Harvard, and uh, played basketball collegiately at University of Maryland. Uh, and, and again, Corey, with, as, I, as I have with, with the two SEC football games in 2013, uh, the 92 Duke-Kentucky game stands out for me. There was, a, there was an occasion later on when Gorwood, uh, Gordon Hayward uh, Butler was playing Duke in the regional final, and he, he launched one from 50 feet. And it was Butler against Duke. Had that gone in and it banked off the rim, I think we would talk about Duke, Kentucky, as maybe the second greatest. But uh, for for those of us who were involved, uh, fortunately it clanked off the iron, and uh, so people still remember Duke, Kentucky. And and again, the memories are. Uh, Leslie Visser is a dear, dear, dear friend, and she was working sidelines with us. And uh, we had her stationed oh, maybe 20 feet away from Kay Wood Ledford, who was the Kentucky basketball announcer, legendary, and, and uh, worth every bit of respect that he garnered over 39 years. She was going to tell the story of Kay Wood's career, summarize it, because he had announced that if and when Duke, uh, Kentucky rather, lost, that would be his final game. She never got on the air because the game was so compelling. And uh, uh, again, there are a million stories about that game. Uh, one of the significant things for me is that when the game was over, Lenny had played in uh, a classic game between Maryland and uh, North Carolina. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, anyway, 104-103, back in the days when only the conference championships, the champions went to the NCAA tournament. And Bob Ryan of the Boston Globe came over to Lenny and me, and he said, I saw your game in 74. Was this better than that one? And Lenny looked up at him and took a long time thinking about it, and then he said, this was better because it meant more. It meant going to the Final Four. And I thought, holy cow, that's an affirmation. And uh, uh, again, I... You you, pray, you you go to an you go to an, a, an athletic encounter, and you hope that something wonderful, memorable will break out in front of you. And if it does, then you just hope that you're adequate verbally to capture the moment uh, in a descriptive way. And I, I you know, fortunately for me, it's worked on a number of occasions. Speaking of Vern Lundquist, legendary broadcaster, Mr. Lundquist, you've obviously had a, a number of, I mean, you countless legendary calls across all sports. I, I, I'm partial in terms of my favorite, and I'd love to hear your favorite as well, but, you know, when you look at golf, and, and you know where I'm going here, the 2005 Masters, Tiger Woods on 16, not only is that one of the most legendary calls in sports history, it's one of really the most legendary moments, not just in golf, but in the history of sports. Tiger's ball is hanging on the lip of the cup, and you captured it perfectly. You said, in your life, have you ever seen anything like that? Because you hadn't. I mean, take, take us through that one a little bit and your memory of that. Well, that is that is the key. Uh, I was expressing. I, 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 ours is a reactive craft. Uh, 
Uh, you can't go in and manufacture pre preordained what you're going to say in a moment. You you just cannot do that. You've got to react to what happens in front of you because uh, the listener or the viewer can detect if you're forcing something in. You just you react to what happens, and that was my reaction. I had never seen anything like that, and I don't think anybody watching at home had. Uh, uh, that that ball hung on the lip for 1.8 seconds before it dropped, uh, and people remember it because it did hang on the lip. Nike did a, of course, Nike did a commercial out of it. Uh, oh, maybe six months later, and if you remember the the shot, the the ball with the Nike logo was kind of sideways. And the punchline to the commercial was, Tiger, next time at least get the logo straight. <laughs> and and uh, uh, Tiger and I have, I'm much, I, because I'm in the same age as Jack Nicholas, I'm closer to Jack than I am Tiger. But certainly Tiger and I know each other, and uh, we've talked briefly about that moment he he will tell he'll tell you right away it wasn't the greatest shot he ever hit he, he he'll he'll jump up right away and say uh, no in the canadian open one year i can't tell, tell you what year he hit a two iron out of a bunker 216 feet yards over water and it came to rest eight feet from the hole and he'll tell you that was the best shot he's ever hit and uh, I'll, I'll argue with him. <laughs> the chip shot to me was because it meant so much. You know, Lanny Watkins was then our our lead analyst, and he and Tiger was playing with Chris DeMarco, and Chris had teed off first and hit one about 20 feet below the hole. And as Tiger was lining up, he had hit a, an eight iron and pulled it long and left. As Tiger was lining up to take his chip shot, Lanny said, "He'll be lucky if he gets if he can keep this inside DeMarco's ball, because it was downhill once it made that right hand turn." And Lanny's Lanny's judgment was correct. You know that that ball, if it did not hit the hit the lip, uh, was going to scoot on down, and he he was looking at double bogey easily. But you know that's execution. And that's a brilliance, and and, uh, and Tiger pulled it off. We're speaking with legendary Hall of Fame sports broadcaster Vern Lundquist, also known in this neck of the woods. A lot of people call you Uncle Vern because you just felt like that uncle that was delivering all the sports news, especially in the Southeastern Conference for 16 years. And, you know, you were talking about golf and the golf game. And I, I just want to know, does Happy Gilmore literally have the best driver and the best putting skills you've ever seen? <laughs> <laughs> that is that Corey, that is the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, and I'll, I'll share with you why. We, we did that. The movie was shot in 1996. And uh, my, my part of it, it was I, they flew me up to Vancouver. We shot it uh, at a course uh, uh, about an hour north of Vancouver. And I flew from uh, Steamboat Springs through Denver to, to Vancouver, and they picked me up. And, and uh, 
started at 7 o'clock in the morning, and we shipped, we shot everything that in which I'm involved in one day. And uh, I, Adam Sandler was there. Uh, I'm turning over my shoulder right now, and I'm looking back at my, Dan Jenkins would call it an ego wall, the great legendary sports writer and columnist. But I've got a photo on the, on the, uh, on the wall back here of myself with Adam Sandler and the guy, the shaggy-haired guy who was a caddy. And uh, here's an interesting thing. I think people will enjoy knowing about this uh, next time. Uh, uh, one second, Corey. Honey, dry cleaning. Dry cleaning. Okay. We're, we're taking care of mundane household chores. Understood. My wife's on her way to the grocery store. So, uh, anyway... Uh, Dennis Dugan was the director of the film, but he also played the PGA commissioner in Happy Gilmore. So he had an acting role. And we were told to report at 7 o'clock in the morning for hair and makeup, for gosh sakes. And uh, it didn't help any. Uh, but but there was a, a fellow, a good-looking fellow there. Uh, his name is Jack Jaraputo. And uh, Dennis Dugan looked at Jack, and he said, I've got an idea. Let's do an inside joke. Let's have some fun. Uh, Jack, you go over with Vern to hair and makeup, and you come back, and you can sit next to him, and I want you in every scene that he's in, and you can't say a word because you're not a member of the Screen Actors Guild. So you just sit there and look handsome and nod and, and agree with everything he said. And that's Jack. And uh, he, he was Adam Sandler's roommate at New York University Film School back in Manhattan. And uh, it's, a, it's a fun story. But that movie was released to theaters in 97, and it didn't do much. And then it went to videotape and now DVD, uh, and USA Network picked it up, and they started televising it once a month, and it got a it got a, a cult following because it is a funny, funny, funny movie, and it's slapstick comedy. But uh, uh, I'm I'm thrilled to be associated with it. I get residuals, by the way, yeah. once every quarter. <laughs> Usually about $34.16. There you go. Well, look, if that's your going rate, I know Bob Barker probably gets a lot more because he was hands-on in that one, man. Oh, Bob yeah. Barker throwing punches and having an opportunity to have Vern Lundquist and Bob Barker together. The price would definitely write for you in that film for sure. Yeah, you know, they they did. They flew Nancy, my wife, and me out to Universal Studios in Hollywood for the world premiere. And that's the only time I ever got to know Bob Barker. I, I met him there. And uh, so we got to see the film uh, in, a, in a great movie theater on the, on the lot where some of the uh, – some of the uh, action was uh, stage action was was uh, filmed, but uh, what a thrill it was, you know. And 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 as I said, it it's it's kept me connected with two generations of people. 
uh, especially because it's it's so much liked by college kids. And uh, and here I am. I'm you know I'll never see 80 again. Right. And uh, and yet on college campuses uh, when we do go back and and uh, uh, the Uncle Vern thing I love. You know that. I know who started that. It was a guy named Spencer Hall, okay. uh, who had a, a, a show called Every Day Should Be Saturday about college football. And he started it, and it caught on. And I, I very much appreciation, uh, appreciate the, uh, the affection with which it's uh, stated to me. Mr. Lundquist, I want to ask you about one of your more recent calls. And I, and I have to tell you this, as as someone, I'm not from the South, I'm from New Jersey. You're, you're a big part of the reason why I ended up in the South, watching SEC football with, with your voice every Saturday, why I chose to go to school in the South, and, you know, your voice tied in with SEC football. But, you know, one that I, rem one that I can remember very vividly from, uh, you know, one of your later years, Tennessee and Georgia. And it, and it was one of the better games I've ever seen, you know, back and forth. It, it, it was unbelievable. Josh Dobbs, he's a Hail Mary at the last second, and all you can say is Jawan Jennings like four times. I mean, it, it, again, just one of the best calls I've ever heard. Well, I thank you very much. I remember the game vividly, vividly. And Jawan Jennings found a trampoline in the end zone <laughs> and went as high up as I could imagine. And, uh, 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 you know, Tennessee won it. Uh, but, you know, that, that I'll go back to my very, very first game. Uh, 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 it was Tennessee and Florida. And I didn't want to go to the college. college. I'd done, I went to CBS to do college football uh, in 82 and uh, 41 years ago. Uh, and I did that for a couple of years, and then they moved me to the NFL. And uh, I had Terry Bradshaw as a part, my first partner ever. And uh, and in '99, uh, I was working with Dan Deerdorf. We were the number two team in the NFL, and and life is pretty cushy. Uh, you get good games. You're usually the lead game early in a doubleheader. And uh, Dan and I were great friends. And and uh, all of a sudden, I get a call at. Uh, from Lance Barrow, who was our my producer in football then. Lance is going in the Sports Broadcasting Hall of Fame here in December uh, as a producer of golf and football. But Lance called and he said, uh, heads up, I keep hearing rumors that uh, you may get a call from Sean McManus, our boss, about going to college football. Well, I did get that call, and I thought I don't really want to do that. Because uh, I love doing the NFL, and then our first game was Georgia at home. I mean, Florida on the road to Tennessee, and the quarterback for Florida was Jesse Palmer, the Bachelor, and uh, he hit a touchdown. They went 80 yards in the last minute and a half, uh, 80 yards or so, and he threw a touchdown catch, catch uh, to uh, uh, wide receiver in the end zone. Uh, the game's over. Tennessee wins it. Or Florida wins it. 2017, and we go off the air. And I looked at Todd Blackledge, my partner, and I said, "Are they all like that?" <laughs> and he said, "Enough of them." <laughs> and indeed, they were. So I got hooked right away. The very first game, and it grew to become the single most important uh, assignment I had in what 60 years of doing sports 
television. I mean, I started it locally in Austin uh, in 1963. I know you guys remember that. Hey, look, a little bit before me, but I know you were in with the Cowboys for sure. Yeah, I did. I had 17 years. Yeah, it doesn't get any better than the career that you've had. Vern Lundquist, our guest this afternoon here on the final drive. And Uncle Vern, I just want to say thank you for your years and dedication and hard work to your craft because it's people like myself that that look up to you and, and, and love what you do because you do it with such passion and you do it so masterfully. So I can't thank you enough for all your dedication and your hard work. And I hope... That that you're enjoying a little bit of your retirement from SEC football. I know you'll have golf for another couple of years, but thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to join us here on WNSP 105.5 in the final drive. You bet you guys. I enjoyed chatting with you. Thank you so much. Vern Lundquist, folks, the legendary Hall of Famer Vern Lundquist joining us this afternoon on the final drive, and we'll be right back. Hi, this is Philip Rivers, football coach at St. Michael Catholic. You're listening to WNSP Sports Radio. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you this Tuesday afternoon. And what a great interview and hearing from Uncle Vern, Vern Lundquist. Hall of Fame broadcaster and w w when you Google him or you look at some of the the sporting events and moments that he's had an opportunity to broadcast Michael Brauner I guarantee there there are broadcasters who would love to have just one of those events and then when you look at having two in three weeks in SEC college football two of the biggest moments in the history of college football for certain that he had a chance to broadcast. And then when you look at some of the games that or the Masters tournaments that he's been able to to do as far as the we didn't even get into his Olympics, the Winter Olympics that he had a chance to call. But his accomplishments and, and what he's done and, and the way that he's enjoying retirement and glad he's still able to cover a little bit of the Masters tournament. He only has a couple of more years that he says he wants to be able to do that on the radio. But when you when you hear him, you definitely know that you've got 16 years worth of SEC football that he was able to give us. And he, you did one of two things. Either you muted Vern Lundquist and Gary Danielson or you went ahead and you turned them up. One of the two. I mean, but Vern Lundquist is one of those guys that was great at his craft and the number of highlighted games that he was able to call in the SEC that are always going to be iconic, second to none. Man, we could have talked to him for three hours. Absolutely. We could have we done the whole show if, if, uh, <laughs> if Vern was available all day. But, no, that was great. Special thanks to him. And, and, and when you think about covering the great – Tom Landry, along with having a chance to get into Nick Saban in the SEC. So you go from the NFL, and he mentioned it and kind of opened up a little bit about, look, you know, college football is not where his heart was. And having a chance to see great games that quickly <laughs> will definitely open it up for you because anytime you're looking at the SEC on CBS, 
there's not really ever one of those that are just truly sleepers. And when you can have and demand the nation's attention the way that he did in that special, special Auburn season with the prayer at Jordan-Hare and then the kick six, just miraculous games that, like he said, finding the words for those, you can't rehearse that for television or for radio. There's no way you can. That's why when you hear Stan White, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, it becomes so iconic because it's so genuine. And yeah. mentioning Tiger Woods' putt in the Masters, that's something speaking as a fan that he, he was able to bring into America's living rooms. Yeah, man, he's had the opportunity to uh, to see a lot of iconic moments. I, I, I didn't even really realize that we were prepping for that, the, the Christian Leitner one as well. Uh, you know, 60 years in broadcasting, you, you'll, you'll see some iconic moments. And, uh, you know, the fact that we got to talk to him, that, that, that was pretty special. Yeah, I mean, for him to, to be able to enjoy it and to, to look back at it, I, I mean, again, to have that iconic call, in basketball, then to have that iconic call in golf, then to have that iconic call in college football. that That's truly, truly amazing. And the fact that we were able to tie that into our very own Mobile's Antonio Lang being a part of that shot that Christian Lakner hit against Kentucky and what it meant not only to Antonio Lang, but to those who love and watch college basketball. Vern Lundquist, truly one of America's best sports broadcasters that you'll hear from an iconic moment standpoint. The 4 o'clock hour coming up, hour number two of the final drive, Corey LeBounty and Michael Bronner will be right back with Chris Cordy locked on SEC. There's a plenty to be locked on with the SEC as we're getting ready to start practice in a couple of days for Alabama and Auburn. We'll be right back. Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. Welcome to our number two of the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you on this Tuesday afternoon. And if you have not done downloaded the free sound of mobile app, make sure you do so. That's a free downloadable app to any Android or Apple device that you may have. So you can correspond with us on the app, of course, you can call us the old-fashioned way as well. 251-694-1055 is how you can get in touch with us. And, of course, you know, we got off the phone with Vern Lundquist, Uncle Vern. And now we're joined by someone who knows a thing or two about the SEC. And it's going to be Chris Cordy locked on SEC as 
he was able to talk with Gary Danielson along with uh, no, Brad Nestler actually was who they talked with on their podcast to have an opportunity to get a little taste of college football from SEC Media Days. And, of course, we welcome in Chris Gordy this afternoon. Chris, how's everything going, my friend? It's going good, man. It's uh, we're, We have flipped the calendar to August. We actually will have college football games later this month. And so... Uh, you know, don't look at the schedule because you'll be very disappointed when you find out that first Saturday is Navy, Notre Dame, and Vandy, Hawaii. But nonetheless, it is college football will be played in this month. Yeah, absolutely. We did flip the calendar, and it, it, what flipped with it was the heat as it continues to be a heat wave down here in Mobile, Alabama. But we'll take the heat and all because heat and hydration in football go together. But, Chris, Alabama – Auburn players officially report for what they call fall practice tomorrow. And, of course, this time next week, we'll continue to swirl about depth charts. I think that's going to be the word for the week upcoming for sure. Yeah, no doubt. And I think there's a lot of position battles still out there. It's funny. I was just talking with somebody about, you know, they're asking me how many open quarterback competitions are there across the SEC and I said you know, after running through it I really only think there's one legitimate one and that's Alabama um, you know Ole Miss I could certainly make a case for uh, you know everybody I've talked to have said they, they do believe when it's all said and done that Jackson Dart will end up being the guy there at Ole Miss um, but I guess there is a world where Spencer Sanders could still win that job but really, Alabama is the only one that nobody has any idea on still. I mean, you know, I talked about it. I talked with Greg McElroy at SEC Media Days. He predicted that it's going to be Ty Simpson. Somebody I talked to a few days ago said they think Jalen Milrow is in the driver's seat. And then Adam Rittenberg at ESPN, you know, this week puts out his prediction. And he picks Tyler Buckner. So it still seems like it's wide open at Alabama. But I think every other school, you know, Auburn's going to say it's a battle. But I, we all – you know, pretty sure it's going to be Peyton Thorne. Uh, you know, A&M is saying all the right things. Yeah, it's a battle, but it's going to be Connor Wegman when it's all said and done. So, you know, there's some, there's a lot of schools that say they have an open quarterback battle right now, but I, I really think Alabama is the only true, uh, you know, true battle that's going on right now. Well, it's not only that battle as far as quarterback, but as far as looking at the depth charts from an offensive line standpoint, a wide receiver standpoint, I think those are positions that sometimes get overlooked. And again, what's not overlooked is the fact that both schools are going to have even more depth the way that Hugh Freeze has jumped into this Big Cat weekend and his recruiting splash that he's had literally getting thrown into the pool along with Nick Saban continuing to do Nick Saban things on the recruiting trail. Yeah, I thought it was – I mean, it was a pretty big weekend across the SEC. As you guys know, this was the last kind of weekend where everybody was going to be full-on into, you know, going head first into recruiting. And Hugh Freeze has done a phenomenal job. I mean, you know, what, what he's doing uh, – or what he did since he got on campus to kind of, uh, you know, salvage that 2023 class. But really the work he's put in for 2024, he's got kids talking about and excited about going to Auburn. And uh, – we just we haven't had that in a couple of years, and it's it's good to see, um, you know the the flip the kid the kid from uh, from Alabama to steal a guy who was, you know, committed to Alabama and, and flip him to Auburn is huge. Uh, it was funny I was talking to somebody who was saying, "When's the last time Auburn had a a really you know elite level five star receiver that 
you know, was a stud, and, and it's been a while. So, um, yeah, it's, it's exciting times, and, you know, we had bar, everything from pool parties to barbecues to all that across the SEC. And, yeah, we're still seeing it today with commitments coming out. LSU just picked up a commitment today. You know, Georgia's had a couple, Alabama. I mean, everybody's kind of reaping the benefits of what happened this weekend. And so, yeah, it's good to see. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's going to be a couple more names coming before the week is over. And obviously that big one coming uh, on a Saturday night with, uh, with R.J. Bolden. Yeah, Chris, what was your kind of biggest takeaway, I guess? the Perry Thompson obviously flips from Alabama to Auburn. I, I mean, obviously Hugh Freeze, he needed to stock the cupboard to have Auburn remotely competitive and it, based on how the past two years have gone. But, you know, do you see this as Hugh Freeze within a year is going to have Auburn back to a spot where they're competing for SEC West championships? I still, like, me personally, I'm of the mindset it's going to take a little time. I do think he's doing all the right things. They hit the transfer portal and, and obviously addressed a lot of needs this offseason in the portal. And, you know, it's going to be a much looking, uh, much different-looking Auburn team when they hit the field in a couple weeks. But th that that said, like, I, I still think they're not – like, I, I'm, Auburn's not winning the West this year, right? I mean, they're, I don't think they're anything close to being a nine-win Team. I do think their schedule is favorable this year, but I, I would put it at like a by year three. I, I think Hugh Freeze will really have a legitimate contender uh, that could compete for the West, can beat Alabama, can beat LSU, uh, and well, it won't even be the West by then. I guess it'll just be SEC. But um, you know, I, that that's the trajectory I put it on. Like all these kids, it's exciting to get Perry Thompson, all this, but like he ain't playing this year. Like, and, and you know, what impact will he have as a true freshman in two years? So. I put it by year three. If you can continue to build up this recruiting class uh, and then build up a, a, an elite level, really be cooking with something then. Yeah, I think it's going to be important. But but let me ask you this, Chris, and I, and I know you're locked on SEC, and, and we're Alabama-Auburn heavy here in Mobile, Alabama. And I know the media says, okay, well, Alabama predicted to win the SEC West over LSU and I, I think that you you mentioned hey look Alabama I mean excuse me Vanderbilt and Hawaii getting ready to play football here in a in a in about three weeks or so if football is going to be great no matter who's playing especially if it's SEC or playing on television in regards to to Vanderbilt and Hawaii but do you see the discrepancy or that big of a gap in divisionless football in 2024 from top to bottom will the sec truly from top to bottom have an opportunity to say put three representatives or four representatives in the college football playoffs moving forward oh yeah i mean you're, you're adding two monster brands in texas and oklahoma and you know right now it looks like there's a there's a little bit of a gap there that, that texas looks a lot more loaded uh, and Sark's done a great job of recruiting there. And obviously having Quinn Ewers back at quarterback is big for them. Uh, Oklahoma had a down year in, in year one of Brent Venables last year. But that's a program that's been recruiting well. And they could quickly turn this thing around and be back to one of the, you know, perennial, um, you know, playoff caliber teams. So, yeah, I think adding those two brands with where Georgia is right now, Alabama, LSU, Tennessee appears to be on their way back. Uh, and then you got a, lot, a bunch of teams that are just super competitive, like Kentucky, you know, is going to give you their best shot every week, Ole Miss, Texas A&M. So, 
Yeah, I think I think probably next year. But when we get to 2024 and we do away with East, you know, SEC East and SEC West, yeah, it'll be hands down top to bottom the best conference. And that's even with the Big Ten adding UCLA and USC. Let's not act like UCLA is anything special. I mean, we just talked about Texas and Oklahoma, and, you know, it looks like Texas is back. And Oklahoma, you know, during that Lincoln-Riley run, was in the playoff almost every year. When's the last time we talked anything relevant about UCLA in football? So <laughs> it's really just USC going to the Big Ten, um, you know, and, and, and then it's, it's Ohio State, Michigan, and maybe Penn State if you want to throw them in there. We'll see what happens with Wisconsin. But there's a lot, of, there's a lot more, put it this way, there's a lot more crappy teams in the Big Ten than there is in the SEC. Absolutely. I have to agree with you there. And as we pivot from SEC football getting ready to start their training camp, so their fall camp, so to speak, it's always weird to call it fall camp when it's 117 degrees heat index. But at the same time, you know what's ultimately going to happen in the fall. We'll talk a little bit about some a team that you really love, the Houston Astros and Justin Verlander coming home and being reunited as the New York Mets are absolutely just having their dumpster fire sale. Were you shocked at all that your Astros were able to acquire Verlander back? I uh, wasn't surprised. I heard it had kind of been in the works the last couple of days. Uh, they did give up to their top four prospects in order to make it work. But, you know, it, it, it's just, it makes this race fascinating. And what's even weirder about this, uh, you know, backstretch of the season for Major League Baseball, I know there's a lot of Braves fans out there. You know, they're looking pretty darn good. The Rays are still looking strong. Uh, there's a, there were more sell or more buyers than sellers this trade deadline, and so you have a lot of teams that are kind of like still trying to battle in the race, like the Phillies and the Cubs and teams like that. That they made bold moves. They didn't sell off. They went and added pieces, and so you know they added some extra wild card teams this year. And so I, it's just going to be fascinating down the stretch of this postseason because you're going to have teams that did not sell off that are going to miss the playoffs and they're going to be kicking themselves saying, "What the hell are we thinking?" But that's what's going to make all these games down the stretch, back stretch of the, of the baseball season even more, uh, you know, meaningful. But yeah, to have Verlander back with the Astros, they're the reigning World Series champs. They figured they got this opportunity, this window, uh, championship window still open. So why not go all in and try to do it again? So we'll see what happens. Chris, you brought up Ole Miss potentially having a battle on their hands at quarterback. Uh, obviously, I think most people assume, like you said, that it is ultimately going to be Jackson Dart. If not, would it be Walker Howard or Spencer Sanders? Um, I, I mean, like, if you believe Adam Rittenberg from ESPN, he thinks Spencer Sanders is going to win the job. But that's, that's the first I've seen written in recent weeks of somebody picking Spencer Sanders. A lot of people I've talked to have said, no, this is Jackson Dart's job, and frankly, we don't even know why Spencer Sanders came over here. There's some people who have intimated that there were some things going on with him. His shoulder wasn't fully healthy. You know, that there were some teams maybe interested in him in the, when he entered the portal, and they kind of pulled back. And so I, I wonder if Spencer Sanders even had that many options. You know, when he made the decision, okay, I'm leaving Oklahoma State, he entered the portal, and I think some teams maybe got scared off. And so he's at Ole Miss. Uh, he, looked, he looked pretty good in the spring game. But uh, if Jackson Dart does ultimately win this job, I just wonder what he's going to do. Would he opt to just sit there and, uh, you know, be the backup? Because, you know, I was told the conversation was conversations to get Walker Howard from LSU to Ole Miss was that you're going to be second string. You're going to be the backup. And so if that's the case, you know, Spencer Sanders may be on the move yet again if he doesn't win that job. 
Who are we thinking was the team that offered Talia one one and a half million dollars, and why was it Auburn? <laughs> you know, I've heard that there were there were rumors. You know, somebody was like, it had to be Alabama because that's where Tua went. And there were some people saying, oh, it had to be Auburn. I heard somebody say they heard A and M took a shot. Uh, you know, that they said, uh, hey, we got money to spend. Let's go yeah. get an upgrade at, an upgrade at quarterback. And so. Yeah, I don't know. I'm sure we'll eventually find out who who it was, but there's a lot of people out there saying Auburn, um, you know, among other schools. I think we lost Chris Gordy right there at the end of the interview, but Bronner, I, I mean, as far as who is or who has offered Talia Tungavailoa $1.5 million, Chris, go ahead and finish that thought there about who you thought might have offered Talia a one and a half million bucks. Yeah, like I was just saying, I heard you know somebody told me earlier this week that they think A and M could have been that school uh, that they weren't settled on on Connor Wegman. Um, you know, so so we'll find out eventually who it was. I, it wouldn't surprise me if look Auburn. We know was not settled or happy with what they had, and so they were going into the transfer portal and. You know, somebody made a phone call and said, hey, Talia, we'll take you at Auburn. Uh, would be fun to kind of stick it to Alabama and say, hey, we got we got the, you know, one of your better quarterbacks. We got his brother here. So, I don't know. I'm sure we'll find out eventually. But I've read rumors and people thought it was Auburn. Some people thought, you know, maybe Alabama took a shot. And uh, like I said, I heard from somebody who said they, they thought that the A&M was, was the school. So, we'll find out eventually. But nonetheless, looks like he's staying firm at Maryland. So, uh, we'll see what he does this year. Well, I, I tell you, we're going to see what everyone does this year. It, it, the biggest thing is getting out of fall camp healthy because we've seen in the NFL some major stars already go down early. And I know in college football you're able to have an 85-man roster that is on scholarship. So I, I know this time next week we'll have a little bit more to, to banter about as far as depth charts are concerned and who's who's – in the clubhouse, in the lead, as far as whatever position we pick across the Southeastern Conference, because I know there's going to be some storylines that we didn't see going in or some guys that aren't really on campus that we thought should have been or are in the doghouse early. So it's that time of year to where Thursday we go ahead and get our taste of the NFL. And, again, starting Thursday as well, we get our start of Alabama and Auburn practices. Oh, yeah, yeah, and it's all about staying healthy. It's all about uh, keeping all those guys ready to go and see who uh, stands out, you know, when we get to fall camp here. And if you're in Athens, it's all about staying out of jail. So we'll see if uh, they can do that in Georgia. <laughs> Absolutely. They're going for the three-peat, and, you know, you don't want to see a third-time offense uh, instead of a three-peat and a national championship ring if you're Kirby Smart trying to avoid that for sure. Chris, how can everyone follow all of your tremendous SEC coverage as well as your Astros coverage who are battling the Rangers neck and neck. Yeah, just locked on SEC wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Gordy. And, uh, yeah, like we talked about, a, a good interview up there today with Brad Nessler. And uh, tomorrow I think I'll be hitting on the comments from the Texas special teams coordinator, uh, given Alabama bulletin board material already saying that, uh, oh, yeah, going to Tuscaloosa, it's no tougher than going to Iowa or Kansas. Yeah, that you really want to send that out for Nick Saban to print out and, and put in the locker room. So uh, we'll be talking about that tomorrow. Appreciate you so much, Chris. Look forward to talking to you again next week, my friend. 
All right, thanks, guys. Chris Gordy locked on SEC joining us this afternoon on the final drive. And, yeah, if you missed those comments a little bit earlier, special coordinator for the Texas Longhorn, Jeff Banks, former Crimson Tide assistant coach. We'll go into that on the other side of the break and talk about it for a moment. So not that Alabama needs any more motivation, but they've gotten a little bit more of it from one of their former head coaches. Coming up next here on the other side of this break on the final drive. This is Jason Caffey. Thank you for listening to WNSP 105.5 FM. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And want to thank Chris Gordy locked on SEC for joining us. And, you know, as Alabama and Auburn players report to camp tomorrow to start fall practice, of course, Thursday, they will absolutely get it started. And we'll definitely keep you posted on how things are going. Of course, tomorrow, starting through Thursday, we'll have the high school football media days that we'll be covering. So looking forward to covering all the Mobile County high school media days and bringing you interviews with players and coaches as we did yesterday with Perry Uno Thompson. And when you look at coaches making comments as assistant coaches, of course, during the season, Nick Saban, he, he doesn't allow his assistant coaches to speak to the media. And Steve Sarkeesian apparently does not have the same rules for his Texas coaches as a former Alabama Crimson Tide assistant coach, Jeff Banks, says, you know, anytime you go into Tuscaloosa, Broner, I cannot really say that that's just another game, but especially a game like Alabama and Texas. And he told his players, Jeff Banks did, we're just going to play another road game just as hard in Kansas and Iowa State as it is going to be in Tuscaloosa. It's Oof. just bigger and more people. I, I, I don't even – I don't know where to begin with that one. Just as hard, but bigger and more. He, he says it's just as hard, and then gives the reasons why it won't be just <laughs> as hard. I, I don't, I don't get it. Why, why, why say that, man? Why, why would he do that? I, I think that you know, if you're smart, you really learn from your boss, your former boss. When Nick Saban, when asked about the matchup with Texas in week two, Nick Saban says, you know, I think Texas has a lot of players back from last year's team. Obviously, it was really close, tough game last year. When we played the game, I think they're doing an outstanding job of recruiting and developing the players on their team, and it's going to be a real challenging game, no doubt, because they have a lot of starters back and they have a lot of experience coming back and an experienced quarterback. End quote from Nick Saban. Well, Coach Banks, just go ahead and when asked about what it's going to mean to your players going in Tuscaloosa, it's going to be a tough environment. That's all you had to say. I mean, you don't – yes, there are going to be forty-five or 50,000 more people than you will see in Iowa State's arena or campus facility as, as well as in Kansas. But Jeff Banks uh, – 45 know, to 50,000 more capacity probably. You know, that's if it's full at, at Kansas or at Iowa State. So, 
Man, Jeff Banks, that's a former Saban staffer as well, correct? Uh, yes, he's the he old is. special winning teams national, coordinator. Winning national championships. I mean, as as he, reasonable. He I mean, knows almost, better than that. He really does. I mean, you you look in there. I mean, worked with Sark on on Coach Saban's staff, and that's one of the reasons Coach Sark goes in and hires him. But I mean, you you played for two national championships and winning it in 2020, and you, you're supposed to be able to learn from the goat, not talk about what is going to infuriate or give the goat bulletin board material. Period. And, and I just don't understand that drive to do so. I, I don't. And and I not that Alabama needs any more motivation going into week number two, but I think that the fact that any bulletin board material yeah. coming out of Austin and or Tuscaloosa, I, I, I know that Nick Saban's going to kind of warn his players against that. And, and another interesting fact here is Alabama's getting ready to begin fall camp as well. Here within the next week and a half, the, the guest speaker who Nick Saban always has to come in to, to motivate the guys. I mean, you've had people like, Iron Mike Tyson speak to the Crimson Tide. Kobe Bryant speak to the Crimson Tide. You've had some iconic figures, Ernie Johnson, from a life standpoint on how to be humble and how to be humbled and giving the Crimson Tide something to talk about and think about one year ago. I, I, I'm really interested to see who that speaker is going to be and, and what the words of motivation are going to be and if they resonate with this team because you, you, it would be hard for me to really sit in, soak in, and absorb the fact that having Will Anderson Jr. and Bryce Young, the the overall number one in three NFL draft picks, that even though Alabama did lose those two games, that the inflated ego of last year's team lacked leadership because talent-wise, Alabama was lacking nothing a year ago. Win-loss-wise, they got two smacked upside their head in epic fashion and heartbreaking fashion at, at that. So, again, who will be that alpha dog? Who will step up and who will be the guest speaker? And what words of wisdom will they be given as Nick Saban allows guest speakers to come in and speak to his team as fall camp begins? We'll get a New Orleans Saints preview from John Hendricks. Coming up next as the Saints are hot and heavy at it in New Orleans. Hey, this is Coach Tommy Tuberville, and you're listening to 105.5 WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you on this Tuesday afternoon. And we want to thank everyone for having us locked in here to the final drive. And, of course, you can correspond with us on the WNSP app. That's a free download app. Sound of Mobile is a free app download if you have not done so to any Apple or Android device that you may have. And, of course, we're always dialed in and tuned in to the New Orleans Saints here along the Gulf Coast. And our next guest does a tremendous job of covering the New Orleans Saints. John Hendricks, Saints lead writer and reporter for the Saints News and Fan Nation at SI.com, joins us. John, I tell you, the news that the Saints – 
dropped on us a couple of days ago about Jimmy Graham officially joining the Saints from a wide receiver slash tight end standpoint. Is that a position that we're going to be talking a lot about for the Saints this year, receiver with Michael Thomas and the tight end? Yeah, I think so. I think this you look at the offseason and, and you look at the past couple of years with this team and just know it's the opportunity that's been had for it. And, you know, Chris Olave and Rashid Shaheed were real, you know, big breaths of fresh air. And you had, obviously, Michael Thomas dealing with injury. But, look, they're in a, on paper in a much better suited position with where they are and their depth chart and the talent they have between the main, you know, behind the main guys. And, look, the tight end room, I think, is very underrated. Um, you know, I had a lot of praise for Jawan Johnson coming into this year. And then you add – you know, Foster Moreau into that mix, and you had Taysom Hill doing his type of thing. Um, and then, you know, you had an up-and-comer like Lucas Kroll, but once you added Jimmy Graham and, you know, you see him moving and playing the way he has for the past uh, couple of days and early on, you feel really good about that going into it, and it all stems from Derek Carr being a, a real big breath of fresh air for this team at this, this quarterback position. Of course, the talk of the offseason was about Derek Carr and Alvin Kamara. Would he be suspended? Would he not be suspended? But his return to the Saints and having an opportunity to talk to the commissioner of the NFL, Alvin Kamara, that is, and Derek Carr, how so far has he adjusted not only in OTAs with the Saints, but now that the Saints are in practice and getting ready for their first preseason game, any surprises coming from Derek Carr or any chemistry that has really stood out to you? Yeah, look, I think chemistry is obviously important. You know, again, he's just working. And, you know, the thing is they're going to trust Derek with a lot of the things they do offensively. And, you know, look, I, I feel like the chemistry is coming along. Things are doing well. And I think the biggest and most important thing with Derek is that he's made it a point to go up to every single guy and just kind of not necessarily harp or, or criticize, but wonder how things could be done and improved to be better. And, look, I think that's been a, a great approach. And, again, you talk about the offensive players and just trying to get that chemistry down. Um, you know, again, it takes a little bit of time. I think it'll come with time. But, ultimately, look, I feel good about where things are going to develop with Alvin Kamara. And, you know, look, they're going to have to figure this thing out with the, the suspension. And, and it seems like it's going to be a lot less games than we originally anticipated. Um, but, you know, again, the chance for him to make his case. But I think Kamara, they've already said, the Saints, that they're going to, to be smart about his workload this year. Um, you know, not as many touches, not as much of a workload. And that's why he brought in Jamal Williams and, and obviously, uh, you know, Kendra Miller. And so, look, I think Alvin can catch more passes out of the backfield. I think he can do a lot more things for this offense and use the proper way. And so, look, I'm excited to see Carr and Thomas hook up for that chemistry. Same thing with Alave. They had a, a little outing in Las Vegas recently, um, you know, with him and about eight players and didn't get all of them, but Olave was a part of that, taking them to dinner and just kind of helping building that, that trust factor between them off the field as well. John, how do you evaluate the NFC South? Uh, and I see it kind of as the only non-question mark is Tampa being really, really bad. I mean, I think there's a lot of potential there with Carolina. If Bryce Young has a good rookie year. Atlanta, we'll see. And then the Saints obviously are the favorites. But I think you can make a case for any of the other two teams having a chance to win this division. Yeah, look, 
I would tell you that Tampa is one of those that I think they're going to feel the, the after effects of a Super Bowl, kind of rebuild a little bit. Look, I'm not sold on their quarterback position. Their defense has had a lot of turnover. Their offense has had a lot of turnover. Um, you know, again, I think it's a little bit tougher of a road for them. So I don't really think that they're much in that mix. And then, look, Carolina is a team that could be a sleeper, but also at the same time, I also feel like they haven't completely figured it out. You know, they've added some nice pieces, some interesting pieces, and it worked. You know, that's the biggest question mark there. And, and as far as Atlanta goes, look, I, I do think that they have improved drastically in the offseason. But for me, it comes down to two things. Who's the quarterback? Are they going to get consistent play from that quarterback? And then, well, really a third thing is, can that offensive line do what they envision for all of that stuff to work? And so, and, and I think that, you know, those things will play out. And, and obviously, you can look at New Orleans and ask different questions and kind of poke uh, holes in an argument for them. But, you know, look, I think they've got to be the favorites right now. I think top to bottom with the experience that they have, with the veterans they have, with the rookie class, the free agents, um, and, and, you know, the coaching staff that's been revitalized, I guess, in here, that, you know, I think, why not them? I think they've got to be the favorites. And I've seen Vegas 9-8, and eight, you know, I think I'd take the over on that one. I feel good about a 10 or 11 win season, and, you know, hopefully it could be a little bit more than that. But, you know, there's just too many good things happening for this team to, to not pick them as the favorites right now. We're speaking with Saints lead writer and reporter for Saints News for Fan Nation at SI.com and John Hendricks. And, John, you mentioned the importance of the offensive line, and the Saints had a season-ending injury earlier or late last week in Trey Turner, and I know that they were quickly able to call up another player. But losing Trey, what does that mean to the Saints as far as from a depth or consistency standpoint? Yeah, I mean, Trey was, you know, it's, it's unfortunate as we talked to him the day before he got hurt and look, he was just in there, a five-time pro bowler. He was one of those guys that was going to come in here and come to work. And that's really all he was about is that, you know, I don't need congratulations, accolades or anything like that. He's just coming in here to work. And I thought that he could absolutely challenge the depth chart. You know, again, I think it's Andres Pete and, and maybe James Hurst that are going to be that left guard. Um, until proven otherwise, and then Cesar Ruiz is going to be on that right side. So, look, I thought he was going to push the depth chart at worst case um, and, and such, but now we won't be able to see. And so, look, the guys that have been there, Calvin Throckmorton, Lewis Kidd, and your rookie uh, Nick Saldaveri, it's an opportunity for them to step up and, and kind of grow and develop. And, look, the Saints have used a lot of guys on the inside. They're rotating a lot of their offensive line. Um, you know, at multiple positions, and that's always kind of been a bread-and-butter staple for this team is that, you know, you don't just play one position um, unless you're just a, a handful of guys. They, they rotate them out, and so they're going to have the right answers. And, you know, look, it was one of those questions for me. It's not a matter of, of if it's going to happen. It's going to be a matter of when it happens, and you need to make sure that you're protecting your star investment that you made in the offseason in Derek Carr. Talking to different Saints people, John, it seems like, a lot of people don't think Dennis Allen is on the hot seat in any way. I, I, I just don't get how. I mean, obviously, year one went how year one went, and I understand he didn't have his quarterback, and, but now he does. So if year two goes similarly bad, I, how do you justify keeping him after that? Yeah, look, I think there's two things. So he's gotten a lot of his players for starters, and he's also picked a lot of his coaches. And so I think that you look at, 
if you track back to when Drew Brees retired, you had the one year of the quarterbacks living in the shadow there, and then Sean Payton leaves, and then you got Dennis Allen kind of in Sean Payton's shadow for a year. And look, the the pressure is definitely on. This is a team that's expected to perform. He's very well liked within the organization. He's a very strict guy, but he's also I, I think there's a lot of things that they like in him about getting the job done. He's it's somebody that's going to hold you accountable. It's somebody that that is going to make sure that they put in the work, but also doesn't mean that you're going to spend tireless, endless nights sitting out the facility to do it. And so, look, it's uh, he's bred competition here. The players are bought in. They were still bought in last year, even though things didn't go the way that they expected to go. I think he's learned a lot from that first season. And uh, you know, again, he's got confidence from Mrs. Vincent and, and obviously Mickey Loomis, the GM, and so. I think that he's obviously in for a better success of a year with all the pieces there. But like you said, if it does go to the wayside, if they cannot get in the playoffs, if they can't win the division, and, you know, I think if they can't get in the postseason or they turn in a losing record, then the hot seat has to intensify. You just can't be that talented, make these many changes and, and such, and just not expect results. That's just how the NFL is. So that would be what would have to happen for him to probably be more on the hot seat. Well, John, it, it, down in this neck of the woods in Mobile, we always love to hear how Jameis Winston is progressing and if he is going to be a true factor in helping Derek Carr develop within this New Orleans Saints system. And we know Taysom Hill and, and the versatility that he brings to the Saints. How have both of them looked so far in training camp? Yeah, look, I think Jameis Winston looks great. I think he's looked comfortable. He's obviously focusing on getting better. You know, he's this time last year and stuff having to deal with some of the injuries and such and, and such, but he doesn't have a brace on or anything like that. Last year he had to command the brace and, and such, and so he made the most of it of what he could, but I think he's looked good. And, you know, look, I, I've floated out there a couple times. I'm not saying this is going to happen, but if he turns it on in preseason and there's a team that needs a quarterback, you know, you see what's happened with the Bengals, for instance. That could be a, a spot where, you know, maybe they put a, a feeler out there. But, look, I think he's the best insurance policy this team could have for Derek Carr. Um, I think Taysom Hill, you know, they have a, a better idea how to use him this year. It should involve some quarterback. It should involve some tight end work. It should involve a little bit of everything. And, look, I've been really impressed with Jake Hayner, their rookie. I think he looked outstanding. Um, I've picked up on him since rookie minicamp. And so I think that his experience with the Saints at the Senior Bowl has, has gone a long way. And I only think that he's going to be in for good things. But, look, Winston, solid backup option. I think he's been a, a great teammate, supporter in this role that he's in, and just has a, a, a never really, I guess you could say, has a bad day. He's always in high spirits and uplifting and encouraging, and that's just kind of who he is as a person. Cam Jordan voted by his peers as a top 50 NFL player moving into this 2023 season and he kind of moves up in the rankings from a year ago no surprise there just a solid future Saints ring of honor type player in Cam Jordan yeah look I mean you can't say enough good things about him and you know look they're still working on trying to get a contract extension done with Cam and such and and we'll see whether it materializes before the start of the season but you know, all-time Saints leading sack artist. This guy's been bought in for since day one. He's still going. He's still performing at a high level. And, you know, look, I think Cam can keep doing this 
and, and be effective. And, and he's just kind of helping pave the new way for other guys. And, he, you know, the thing I appreciate a lot this locker room is it's not just one voice who's the leader of this team. And Derek Carr did not come in here to take over. He came in to enhance. He came in to help complement the leaders that are already in place, like Cam Jordan, Demario Davis, Tyron Matthew, you know, on the offensive side of all guys, like Eric McCoy taking more authoritative voices and such. But, you know, with Cam, look, he's a, a pleasure to cover. He's uh, awesome to watch on the field. It doesn't always end in sacks, but, look, he's done this long enough. He knows what's at stake. He knows what he's trying to do to get Derek Carter a Super Bowl, try to get a Super Bowl ring. Uh, you know, I think he's going to make the Hall of Fame one day. I just don't think you can have that many sacks on your resume and still playing at your level that you're playing and not be able to do that. So, again, he's always uh, just one of the best guys to talk to for insight, always there, whether it's good or bad, um, after a, a win or a loss and, and such. So he's just one of the, the easy people to root for. Tomorrow, day seven of New Orleans Saints training camp coming up, of course, 12 days away from the Saints' first preseason matchup against the defending Super Bowl champions in the Kansas City Chiefs. John, I know you'll continue to, to have tremendous coverage of all things New Orleans Saints. How can our listeners and followers down here in Mobile, Alabama, follow all of your coverage of the New Orleans Saints? Yeah, the easiest way would be to go to saints.media, or you can go to si.com slash NFL slash Saints. That's a little bit more, but Saints.media will get you the same spot. And then find me on Twitter. It's John J. Hendricks. Hendricks just like the uh, Jimmy, not like the Jen, is what I like to tell people. And some people will get that still. And uh, I'm old enough to make that reference. So. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right there, Mr. Hendricks. And we can't thank you enough for taking time out of your Saints schedule to join us here on the final drive. And we look forward to continuing to hear your coverage of the Saints as training camp continues to unfold thank you very much john all right thanks how's it going john hendricks saints lead writer and reporter for saints news for fan nation at si.com joining us this afternoon the final drive will be right back This is Richie Riley, the head men's basketball coach of South Alabama. There's nothing better than listening to WNSP Sports Radio, 105.5 FM. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And definitely want to thank John Hendricks for joining us and keeping us updated on the Saints training camp as again, 12 days away from having an opportunity to see the 2023-24 New Orleans Saints. And as we prepare for the Super Bowl, of course, you know, growing up as a kid, I, I, I love to watch Nickelodeon. And Nickelodeon is one of those channels that has evolved and changed very similar to, to how MTV has evolved and changed over the years, but Broner, I, I know you're probably one that that does not appreciate the green slime no. and, and where that came from. No, you're wrong about that. I'm not is, that young. It is from Nickelodeon. And, oh, I know it. You can't do that on television. Used to be one of the shows I used to love on Nickelodeon, but Nickelodeon is jumping into the NFL 
and they're going to go ahead and give a kids broadcast to the Super Bowl because there's a lot of kids out there that definitely can relate to Nickelodeon and SpongeBob SquarePants, which is one of the biggest all-time greatest hits and cartoons for multiple generations. But as far as that Nickelodeon, one, that one crosses. It, it, it does. It, de- it definitely crosses generations, and and they do a tremendous job in their coverage around Christmas time of bringing and simulcasting NFL games, but being able to bring the Super Bowl from a kid's perspective, CBS and Viacom, of course, being together in regards to how they're producing the Super Bowl, it's always a neat angle when you see the kids shows and the kids to be able to see other kid broadcasters on the Super Bowl and and the way that they go ahead and bring that, it, it, it's going to be different for those who do have kids and be like, look, you can just go to your room at, while the adults and enjoy <laughs> the great libations watching CBS's coverage with Jim Nance. You can go to your room and you can watch the kitty coverage of the Super Bowl. So you know, the the more the merrier in regards to having an opportunity to to see and view the Super Bowl. Sure, I, I I don't know. Have you have you watched the uh, the playoff broadcast? Yeah, I have. I, I absolutely there's, love there's it. There's something. I, I I love the fact that you can have and enjoy a, a CBS Kids broadcast because again, you look at the green slime when when there's touchdowns scored, the graphics that are brought up, and the and the way they do bring it. Nate Burleson does a a, a tremendous job of anchoring that coverage. So. I think that as far as continuing to want to grow the game, and we're not talking about just males who are playing the game because the NFL and their heads-up program and their NFL flag football has incorporated both co-ed football. So that's a lot of fun as well. So just a different way to, to check out the Super Bowl for sure on Nickelodeon and catch the way that they're bringing it to you. Our number three of the final drive coming up next here on WNSP From Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. Welcome to our number three of the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with my producer, Michael Bronner, joining you on this Tuesday evening. And we want to thank everyone for having us locked in and tuned in. And if you missed any of our earlier guests, of course, 
in the 3.30 hour, we were able to talk to Hall of Fame broadcaster Vern Lundquist. And Uncle Vern was able to share some of the most historic sporting moments that he has covered. And he's he's has some of the top, probably, I would say probably top 25 moments in all sports, whether it be Masters golf, whether it be college football or NFL football. Vern Lundquist is probably has at least three of those iconic calls. Of course, Chris Gordy locked on SEC, joined us along with John Hendricks as we were talking about the New Orleans Saints opening up their training camp. And, of course, you know, you can always correspond with us on the downloadable Sound of Mobile app. That's a free download, Sound of Mobile app, to where you can download it and then talk with us here and correspond with us in regards to high school football, collegiate football, NFL football, and any other sporting event that may come across your mind or any topics that we're discussing, not only on the opening kickoff, but on the final drive as well. So make sure you download that free Sound of Mobile app to any Android or Apple device you may have. And Michael Bronner, I know that you, you we looked at earlier in the day the, the revelations that were given by Bryce Young in regards to being a door dasher. <laughs> he was a door dasher in his time at Alabama. And, of course, we know he didn't play too much as a true freshman. Had to learn the ropes a little bit and had some quarterbacks, some great quarterbacks to learn from. But always wanting that extra money is the collegiate student, even if they are a student athlete. Bryce Young was a door dasher after the COVID-19 pandemic hit, even though he would have on his mask and his hoodie and deliver. Most people didn't recognize him then, but that NIL money, when it started calling, he was no longer a door dasher. I'll, I'll get back to the Bryce Young thing in a minute. I got to check you on something you just said. You said with, with Vern top 25, I mean – and again, we're guests we're guest free the rest of the show. So, you know, you want to chime in, give me a call at 251-694-1055. But man, he's got number one in golf, without a doubt, and I'd consider that Tiger chip shot on sixteen and twenty thousand five at Augusta to be top five. Christian, in golf? In golf? Oh, number one in golf. I, I'm saying top five in sports history. So, it's the most so iconic your, shot in golf history from the in, most in iconic in, in my lifetime. I mean Hey, it, I mean, and then the Christian Leitner shot. Yeah, that's right up there. That's the most iconic moment in college basketball history, I would say. I mean, these are top five moments like in the history of sports we're talking about here. That's why you have to be real kind. And, you know, there, there have been some outstanding Super Bowl winning moments. There have been some walk off home runs in the World Series. So, you, you know, saying that Vern Lundquist does have three or four of the top moments, sporting moments and sport calls of all time, you know, that that's being very kind to, to Vern Lundquist. And, and to have one, yeah. you're lucky as a sports announcer to have one iconic call, but Vern Lundquist in two and three weeks with the prayer, yeah. Jordan Hare, and, and along with the kick six, that those two calls alone, uh, you can you put those on repeat, repeat, and repeat as far as from a classic game to watch on television. And th those are games that I guarantee if you had the sound muted and were listening to your particular radio station's broadcast of the game, Alabama or Auburn 
or Auburn and Georgia game uh, broadcasters, I guarantee when you watch the replay, you 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 listen to Uncle Vern. You had to chime in. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what else you would put near the near the top 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 of that list. You know, removing Vern from. I, I guess like. Miracle on Ice and Al Michaels. That's that's an yeah, iconic I mean, call. Do you believe in miracles? Yeah. That one. Uh, we we'll, we'll have to make a, a Mount Rushmore. Yeah, iconic we, we can do that. But I guarantee history. Vern Lundquist. He's is, right, he's, he's on there. Fair, yeah, he's in his fair share. And and, and we had someone today talk about. Don't forget, he was there for the tour championship when Happy Gilmore took. Shooter I mean, that's McGavin an iconic down. moment in sporting look, history. Look, right we, there. we did talk to Vern Lundquist about being featured in Happy Gilmore. And he talked about his love for filming that movie and just having an opportunity at the premiere to to, to meet Bob Barker and The Price is Right, uh, great game show host, and just the moments there. Again, you mentioned it after the interview with Vern Lundquist. We probably could have sat down and talked to him for a good hour and a half going down memory lane. But absolutely, the iconic moments, Duke versus UK basketball call, along with his master's opportunities and his 16 years covering the SEC and being the voice of CBS and SEC football. We'll go ahead and we can't replay the interview, but you can check it out on our social media feed. So, yeah. Broner, I know that you have already, I think, downloaded that to our social media feeds to where you will be able to go ahead and check out that WNSP Selects podcast. Yeah, I'll tweet it out after the show, but uh, if you're if you're listening out and missed the interview, go ahead and search WNSP now wherever you get your podcasts, and it'll be the most recent podcast posted, the Vern Lundquist interview. It's about 20 minutes long. Definitely it's worth going and checking out if you missed it. That was really, really great stuff earlier. But his iconic chuckle and laugh when we did bring up Happy Gilmore, you could tell. And he mentioned that he's home in Colorado and looked over his shoulder about the picture that he and Adam Sandler have of filming at, you know, Happy Gilmore and the fact that how it took off to where it necessarily wasn't a dud. Because kind of Waterboy, when it came out, is one of those football movies to where when you saw it the first time if you love saturday night live you were going to go watch the water boy and adam sandler but it's kind of like now outside of the water boy when you knew how funny that movie was and if you continue to to watch adam sandler movies for Vern Lundquist to be featured in that and be the voice of CBS golf at the time, great stuff by the iconic Vern Lundquist. But, yeah, I mean, he is one of those guys that you can pick as far as your sports iconic call of all time. But those three three moments for sure, the kick six, the prayer at Jordan-Hare, and his master's moments to go along with we didn't even get a chance to get in depth with him about his Olympics experiences with Tanya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan. I know that's really pre-Michael Brauner time, but those those two. I've seen a the 30 for skating, 30. Yeah, that's classic stuff. If you can get a 30 for 30 involved, you know that those moments are iconic from a broadcaster standpoint for sure. Uh, man, like, and if you think, as I'm thinking about this too, it's like, again, I would argue the most iconic moment in the history of golf with that Tiger Woods call. I'd argue the most iconic moment in the history of college basketball with that Christian Leitner call. Certainly has a case for the most iconic moment in the history of college football 
with the kick six. I mean, and and he called all three of them. Yeah, it, it, it's all it's unbelievable. <laughs> uh, it, it's radio gold what he's sitting on, and he is definitely a national sports treasure in regards to what he was in refreshing to talk to him. And I know it gives him life because we were looking at the burn Lundquist age, 83 years young. And he said, he's not going to see 80 again. That just goes to show. I mean, 83 years old, still being passionate, still having an opportunity to cover the masters. I think through 2025 from a radio standpoint for CBS. So he, he's still no stranger to Augusta and being able to be heard there on the radio standpoint because just his professionalism is golden. The way he approaches things has been golden. It's not like what you see. I know he's covered many coaches, but here's one. Having a chance to get his start in Dallas, covering the Cowboys as a young reporter, and Tom Landry when that franchise starts, and then ending your broadcasting career covering Nick Saban. So you go from Tom Landry, NFL Hall of Fame icon, to Nick Saban, college football's icon, and GOAT. How does it get much better for Vern Lundquist and his life and to have all those magical moments stuck in between there? And like he told us, didn't even really want to cover college football. Having to lean on his partnership with CBS and getting an opportunity to break up what was one of his passions in covering the NFL and still to see him, you'll hear his voice in NBA basketball games because that voice is just, it's iconic and it's radio gold. I think he was the commentator for like NBA Jam 98 or something like that. I was doing yeah. some quick research for that. Uh, it's a bit before my time. But yeah, he's uh, he's certainly been around the map a little bit. He has, it, and we really enjoyed our time talking with Vern Lundquist and everything that he brings in. You know, there's a much different NFL than the one in which he started covering with the Cowboys to one that exists today. On the other side of the break, we'll talk about the bro code. Does the bro code <laughs> exist? The unwritten rule, we know you've heard about the air quote unwritten rules in baseball. There's unwritten rules in football too. There's bro codes in football. Sean Payton, did he violate those? Well, we actually had a chance to hear about the person who he talked about as far as from a coaching fraternity, Nathaniel Hackett. He chimed in today about Sean Payton. We'll talk about that next on the other side of this break. Hey, this is former Mobile TV sportscaster Eric Clemens, and when I'm in town, I listen to 105.5 FM Sports Radio, WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you this Tuesday evening. And Michael Brauner, I, I, I want to know, do you know what the unwritten rule of baseball is? Do you know what it is? I think there's multiple. I mean, can you name? Seems, seems like there's a book of them. Can, can you name any of them? I, I mean, I, I know you always hear about the unwritten rule, and, and those who are in the app, 
please make sure you chime in on the app and let us know what the unwritten rules of baseball really are. Because are there unwritten rules of football as well? Are there unwritten rules in sports? I don't believe in unwritten rules. And and if they are unwritten, then do they mean anything? I mean, because they're not anywhere for you to follow. You're just being told that there's a, a bro code in sports, especially here in football. Then you hear Nathaniel Hackett, the offensive coordinator for the New York Jets, chime in on Sean Payton's infamous quote about him being the worst coach in NFL history, coaching the Denver Broncos. And you, you, you can fire back without naming names. And, of course, Sean Payton did apologize for his comments. I guess he got stuck in analyst mode. But as far as him saying and calling Sean Payton out, he didn't do that. He said that Sean Payton broke an unwritten code. And he said, obviously, this last week has been very unique for this organization, and he's been involved in the business the whole life. And as coaches, we live in a glass house. We all live in different rooms. We have a key for it. It's one of those things. There's a code. There's a way things are done in that house. This past week, it's frustrating, and it sucks. We're all susceptible to it. The things you do, the mistakes you make, it costs you time on the field. It costs you your job, all those things, and I own all of that. That's a fact. I've got no excuses. Well, I think, and that's the end of Coach Hackett's quote, but I think if he believes Peyton broke the code of the coach of fraternity, Hackett chimed in and says, I do, I do. So not necessarily throwing Sean Payton or mentioning him by name, but definitely having – you have to know his ego and his pride. He wanted to fire back, but he didn't want to violate the code himself by doing exactly what Sean Payton had done to him. Let me take you back to week one last season. Monday Night Football, Broncos, Seahawks. See, see if you remember this one. Russell Wilson's return to Seattle. Uh, it was a close game. Seattle was up 17-16 late in the game. Russell Wilson was was trying to bring Denver for a game-winning drive to try to win the game for the Broncos. And Nathaniel Hackett elected to let the clock run on fourth and five, had two timeouts, elected to let the clock run down to 18 seconds. And instead of going for it on fourth and five, mind you, with the quarterback, you just traded two first-round picks and paid $200 million. He sent Brandon McManus out there to kick a 64-yard field goal, which missed badly. It was a 64-yard field goal to try to win the game. Nathaniel Hackett, if Urban Meyer didn't exist, would be the worst head coach in NFL history. I Like... 
Nathaniel Hackett deserves to be called out for so how bad you, of a coach he was. You definitely second Sean Payton's of initial comment. Of course I comments. did. I, like, that's why on, on day two when he was like, oh, I probably shouldn't have said that. Like, man, you said it. It was true. What you said was true. It was the worst coach. And got, again, if Urban Meyer didn't exist, Nathaniel Hackett is the worst head coach in NFL history. And then for Hackett to talk about glass houses, yeah, you're living in a glass house because your tenure as a head coach was embarrassing. And so, I don't know. Like, were you really getting offended about it? I mean, it's true. You were terrible. You made some mind-bogglingly stupid decisions as head coach of the Broncos. And so, like, if Peyton calls you out, so be it. I mean, you you actively lost the team games with your decisions. So, I, I, I just, yeah, you're living in a glass house. Your glass house is about to come down. But I, I this, this code between coaches, man. It's so dumb. So it, it is – I think that you have to respect other coaches because you're in a profession to where, as Nathaniel Hackett just mentioned, you know, you, you can lose your job if you suck. You, you're definitely – I mean, yeah. that that's what he's saying. I mean, if you have a bad couple of years, you're ultimately going to be gone, and, and that's your family's livelihood that's at stake, and you have to find a way – to continue to provide and, and to redeem yourself. And, of course, you know, Aaron Rodgers did call Sean Payton insecure. Do, do yeah. you think that that was an insecure comment or he was just mouthing off about a franchise that he inherited and he was continuing to vent his frustrations? Nothing insecure about it. He didn't say anything that wasn't true. If You know, if he had said... Nathaniel Hackett's a terrible coach. All right, I, I I I get it. He didn't even say that. He said the coaching job that the Broncos had. I don't even think he mentioned Nathaniel Hackett by name. I just kind of said the coaching job last year, which obviously you know Nathaniel Hackett is at the forefront of that discussion. But I don't think he like called out Nathaniel Hackett specifically and said he's a terrible coach. Like there's not there's nothing sensitive or fragile about it. He said said it how it was. But he, here's. The pressure now, of course, these two teams do meet in week five in the Broncos and the Jets. And there's no better way to frame this one that whether both teams come in with a winning record or either one of the teams have a losing record, the, the cameras in all game long are going to be on wherever Nathaniel Hackett is as the Jets OC. Yeah. And, of course, Sean Payton's going to be right there on the sidelines for the Denver Broncos. I so it's week four? Th th that is definitely must-see TV, without question. Maybe week six. It, week remember. five. Week, week five. five. It okay. is week five that they're going to play one another. And I I'm looking forward to that matchup a month in to the NFL season. But as far as head coaches and – that fraternity that they do have, I, I think that unless there's genuine dislike for one another, and you have some NFL coaches who, who really don't like one another, and they'll make that vocally known, and I think that that's what makes better TV as well. I mean, you look at just the other day when I was watching a 30 for 30 documentary on the Patriots, and you had Parcells and Belichick eyeballing one another teacher and mentor was it the two bills they just at that point in time in that moment in their life they didn't like each other and it was genuine feeling of disrespect and sometimes like you say you go out there and you go and you have 
a coach who tacks on some extra points or you feel the NFL coaches, they're not worried about being fined. I can tell you, like, they don't care what the fine amount is. Sure. Uh, college coaches, on the other hand, they tend to listen to what the commissioner has to say. And NBA coaches, the, really the only people or persons that are off limit are the referees and the officiating. That's really the only thing that you don't hear NFL coaches talk about. But they'll talk about each other. They'll talk about one another. And I think that Aaron Rodgers and the Jets, Nathaniel Hackett, if he struggles with the Jets offensively, because, again, Aaron Rodgers is expected to take the Jets, not only win their first playoff game in God knows how long, to also take them to the Super Bowl. Keep in mind, they haven't made the playoffs in like a decade. Let's make the playoffs before you got to win the playoff game. This Jets hype machine is out of control, man. Hey, had it's it. only going to get better. Man, I've had with it. The fact, hey, how about the fact that Start you have some to games. add in that Hard Knocks know. is still involved I in know. the filming. I'm going to hate watching that because I know it's, it's going to be good. It's going to be juicy, brother, with the fact that now that you do have Nathaniel Hackett, you know that's a centerpiece and a center point. Yeah, I wonder, I wonder if they'll episode. touch on that. Absolutely. You have to. Yeah. You have to prepare for that because see the behind that's the what's going to be the buzz. That out. No question that's going to be the buzz of the hard knocks. And someone in the app says, Monday night football game, please. We don't think for one moment that the NBC is not looking at it to saying, oh, we hope the Jets come in with some type of winning record. Because Aaron Rodgers alone is going to put eyeballs on or put people's eyeballs on the television set, no matter what channel carries that. But I guarantee a primetime matchup is a little bit even better when you start looking at a week five matchup. I'm so sick of this Jets team already, man. They haven't even played a, a down, and I'm so sick of them already. And well, the Jets are already, like, they've been my least favorite team in the league. Because, again, like, you know, I'm a Patriots fan I, from New Jersey. I have a lot of Jets fan friends. So, and, you know, but the Jets throughout my lifetime, you know, we've been able to keep them down keep them keep them in the basement it's kind of like vol fans for the last 15 years it's like when they were good this year you know a lot of people on twitter were like oh people were oh, forgot about the monster that that tennessee vol fans become when tennessee is good you know we've had them asleep for a while now jet like the jets are supposed to be good by the way they haven't won any games yet Patriots still beating them 14 times in a row mind you but yeah I mean it's it's already out of hand I, I've heard quite enough about the Jets they haven't even played a game they might be good they might win 12 games but I'd like to see it on the field before it's it's shoved down our throats all off it's so annoying man on the other side of this break we'll talk about whose camp is in worse shape is it going to be the Indianapolis Colts and their situation with their running back, Jonathan Taylor, requesting a trade? Or is it going to be, you say you're sick of hearing about the Jets. Is there another preseason team outside of the Colts that are already heading toward disaster? We'll cover the Colts problems and Jonathan Taylor holding out with the Colts. The CBS Nickelodeon Super Bowl broadcast and more coming up next on the other side of the final drives break. Hi, this is Mark Malone, former NFL quarterback. You're listening to 105.5 WNSP. 
Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5 and the Indianapolis Colts. Jonathan Taylor, you know, the running back from Wisconsin who set all type of records while he was a Badger, has done fairly well in the NFL, requested a trade, and the team put him on the physically unable to perform list and says that he has a back injury and then he chimes in yesterday and said look man i'm healthy i don't have any type of back injury and not only is he holding out on the colts okay well zach moss is the backup running back well you go in and you're ready to get more touches because jonathan taylor has been holding out for more money and then all of a sudden now zach moss he, he breaks his arm and is out four to six weeks so now what do you do if you're the Indianapolis Colts from a running back position? I know teams like to carry five and six wide receivers. They don't carry five and six running backs, but good grief, man. You want to talk about the Colts just crashing and burning before the NFL season even gets started. That's tough. Yeah, I saw something on, on Twitter, I think, uh, Gardner Minshew is the only player on that roster healthy right now that has more than 100 career carries or, or so, some stat like that. I might be not be quoting it exactly right, but it was something crazy along those lines. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's not a great situation. I mean, they'll be fine. You can, like, I, I hate to say it, but it's the reality of the running back position that you can always find a guy, and, and uh, you know, a big part of it is plug and play, and they have a decent offensive line. Like, they'll be okay at the running back position. The Taylor situation is weird, though. You know, Jim Ursay tweeting the other night something along the lines of, uh, what was it exactly? You know, agents are selling bad faith. And, you know, that's, like, that's why they're in this mess running back-wise, and then... Taylor meets with him the next day, requests a trade. You know, the injury thing aside, he's requesting a trade. Ursay says they're never going to trade him. The always interesting Jim Ursay. And, uh, yeah, so that's about where we're at on that. And, yeah, I mean, well, I think the Colts probably end up trading him. Well, if he does get traded, I know he'll be happy to, to move forward. I'm just looking forward to seeing Anthony Richardson in action behind Garner Minshew. And I, I don't know if Richardson will – will go ahead and, and be in the same type of situation that Bryce Young is ultimately in, in Carolina already being named QB1. But it's something to keep an eye on for sure and, and something that I know I'll be watching as far as with the Colts and where they're able to finish. Because, I mean, a year ago, not not too shabby by the Colts as far as when you look at getting and not finishing in the bottom of that division because the 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 Texans three and 13 the Colts four and 12 and I say not too shabby you never want to finish at the bottom of the division anytime that you're drafting early you know that that's normally a sign of problems within your franchise and we'll see if, if they can get it worked out but as far as franchise are concerned CBS Sports and Nickelodeon teaming up for the Super Bowl broadcast to where if you do have children and, and they love Nickelodeon and they want to continue to watch some of the, the kid broadcasters that are on Nickelodeon, it'll be a great way for people to watch or kids to watch the Super Bowl as an alternative. And also, I, I mentioned Bryce Young being QB1. I, I still I'm flabbergasted over this, this DoorDasher story while he was at Alabama. 
he was a DoorDash and a right after COVID. So you mentioned, you know, you can relate because you were formerly a, a DoorDasher yourself in regards to delivering, but that was before NIL hit Bryce Young in his pockets. Yeah, NIL never hit my pocket, unfortunately. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, well uh, another interesting story is the fact that the United States women national team, okay, a 0-0 zero to zero draw at 3 a.m. this morning. Bronner, Bron you didn't watch the 0-0 zero zero draw at 3 a.m., the, the FIFA World Cup. You, you weren't into that this morning? <laughs> I did not watch the game at 3 a.m. I was sound asleep. Well, well you know, when, when you get called out, and I know Carly Lloyd called out the team in regards to saying that they're playing with a lackluster and uninspiring vision. You know, the United States women's national team head coach, he, he, he said, look, we're, we're playing as hard as anyone else is playing, and the preparation mentally and physically is right where it needs to be. But the United States was on the verge of being eliminated and not having an opportunity to continue to be hungry. And when you win with any sport, sometimes I'm not going to say you become tired of winning, but you forget what it takes to sustain it, and you lose that hunger. And we'll see. I mean, I know for a fact that Portugal had an opportunity to to go ahead and score about two minutes into stoppage time, and, and it hit the post and bounced back. But at the end of the day, the United States women's national team is moving on. We'll still have an opportunity to defend the FIFA World Cup championship. So, you know, kudos to them for sometimes it doesn't have to be pretty, which they played a couple of 0-0 games. And, you know, I, I soccer is, is fast-paced on the field, but not a lot of scoring goes on men or women soccer sure i yeah i saw the the clip of the the shot that hit the post for for portugal and uh i i heard the audio of i think it was carly lloyd ripping ripping them for for celebrating after i i tend to uh, tend to agree with her i mean they were uh they were a post away from being eliminated you know seems like a get to the locker room and uh you know, figure out how to not make that happen next time rather than stay on the field and celebrate. And I'll, I'll go out on the limb of, of a prediction and say, uh, I don't I don't think they're going to win the thing, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, I, I think that that's one of the great things that you'll have an opportunity to continue to see what goes on and what does occur. And, and what has occurred is the fact that, I, did you see this, this Dr. J legendary, top 10 i saw people were up in arms about it didn't he leave lebron off his top 10 he did yeah leave lebron james off of his top 10 list and and dr j you know they call him dr j but in this one my brother you know you you don't even get a high school diploma out of this one (laughs) i mean it's hard enough you know in kindergarten they they give you pre-k they give you a diploma you look at fifth grade, they give you some type of certificate or, or graduation. Eighth grade, they give you a graduation certificate or whatever. But Dr. J, man, leaving LeBron and Kobe off of the list, 
you know, Bill Russell, Will Chamberlain, Oscar Robinson, Jerry West, Elgin Baylor. He says that's his all-time best team. And, and I understand list or your personal opinion, but when you start leaving off the greats, that, that's what makes it tough, man. You, 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 to me, you lose a little credibility within your list, and, and it, it, it is your list, right? But come on, man. When you don't have LeBron James or, or Kobe Bryant on it, Steph Curry, you want to say because he's currently playing, you don't have it. You don't have him on the list. And and again, it's a whole nother, a whole nother era. I can excuse. Up. I can excuse leaving Kobe off. That I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I I think Kobe is, you know, fringe top ten. I I put him right around ten if he is in that. T- I I don't have a huge issue with that. that. That's fine. Obviously, LeBron. Yeah, I mean, whether you're a fan of him or not, it's it's pretty ridiculous to not have him in the top 10 i i still have met two uh yeah and we we talked about this after the championship i mean i I think curry has really staked his claim he's if he's not in the top 10 he's getting damn close by now and by the time it's all said and done i I think he will pretty firmly be a top 10 player of all time but i mean you, you you leave off people like tim duncan and and LeBron James, Tim Duncan's not on there either. No, yeah. See, I have Tim Duncan higher than Kobe. So I mean, you look at Jerry West, Oscar Robertson, Elgin Baylor, Will Chamberlain, Bill Russell, Michael Jordan, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Magic Johnson, Karl Malone, and Nate Tiny Archibald. <laughs> Again, that that is he didn't put himself on it. He he did not. Uh, but 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 to say that you know certain players aren't on the list because they have not finished their playing career, I you know I, when I saw this list I was like man it, it's you, you don't have Shaq on there you don't have Kobe Bryant on there you don't have Tim Duncan on there and you don't have LeBron James on there so as far as players finishing their career being a prerequisite, no way can can that be the fact. And I'm not taking anything away from Carl Malone. Uh, Magic Johnson, we all know what Magic was able to accomplish. Bill Russell, one of the, the greatest of all time. And to leave Shaq off, though, I, I, you know, at least he didn't leave Michael Jordan off. I know Nick Wiggins would be probably a little upset and offended the fact that LeBron was not on Dr. J's list. But man, that that's, you know, again, he's entitled to to his list and that's what makes it great. Everybody and that's what makes it great for debate. Everybody has their own opinion about who is on not only their Mount Rushmore but in their top 10 all-time list. But no, I mean, the top 10 list to where you're struggling and you're forgetting about the big fundamental in Tim Duncan or, okay, Kobe Bryant. In your eyes, Bronner, is Kobe Bryant one of the top ten players in the history of the NBA? No, but just outside of it. Okay. Yeah, you know, so, right, right around it. All right. So so uh, w- w- would you say Tim Duncan is an all-time? Would, would you think he's a, a top ten? Yes. Uh, Tim Duncan over Carl Malone. Mm, I, I think it's close. That, that would be a very – uh, arguing standpoint, but 
Nate Tiny Archibald. Have you have you ever have you heard of Tiny Archibald? Frankly, I don't know who Nate okay. Tiny Archibald uh, that's okay. is. That's all right. That's all right. Look, it's the little engine that could. I mean, he he's one of those guards that can get it in. Did, did, you know about Jerry West, of, of course. course. The, the, logo. the lo There you go. And, and and the big O, a walking triple double. Did, uh, did you ever watch the the Showtime Lakers? I'm thing in the on HBO? matter of fact, season two is is starting up. So oh, it is. Yes. So oh, I didn't even two. know. I didn't wasn't even watching asking you that knowing that I I had watched season one like six months ago. Uh, season two, it started like it's out. Yeah, I mean it, it's one of those that that I gotta you check that out. Yeah, oh, I loved season one. It was great. It, it was phenomenal. And, and whether you wanted to say that there were hard truths, man, the lookalikes in this movie were spot on. Yeah. So not only could you be a lookalike, yeah, they did you, a good job. Yeah, you could also go ahead and, and while we're talking about the NBA, Mark Jackson, hand down, man down himself. Well, him and Jeff Van Gundy, both no longer with ESPN wow. as Mark Jackson. It will no longer be covering the NBA on ESPN. And he said he was totally blindsided. I think that the first waves of layoffs by ESPN, you knew they weren't done, but you didn't really think that Mark Jackson would be one of those that would get the ax by ESPN. But, hey, look, if you're the New York Knicks, just think about this. I mean, you have Van Gundy and Mark Jackson that can still help you with your television or radio broadcast. And I know Clyde Frazier does some of the Knicks' television as well. But, man, two former New York legends in Van Gundy along with Mark Jackson both giving the axe by both of them. So last segment here of the final drive coming up. What day is it? And, of course, tomorrow we'll give you that preview of what's on tap on the show. High School Media Days, of course, football-wise in Mobile County starting tomorrow, continuing on to Thursday. We'll wrap up the final drive here on this Tuesday evening in Mobile, Alabama. Hi, this is Bill Hancock, Executive Director of the College Football Playoff, and you are listening to WNSP 105.5 in Mobile. Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And, of course, if you have not downloaded our free Sound of Mobile app, make sure you do so because, again, you can download it to any Android or Apple device that you may have. And corresponding with us in the app, one of the users says one of the main bro codes in baseball at any level is if someone got a no-hitter going, you stay away from him at the other end of the dugout and don't talk to him. That's one of the, the bro codes. And one of the codes of, of our show here is finding out what day is it. What day is it, Mike? Listen, guess what today is. <laughs> what day is it? Well, as we turn to August 1 on the calendar, it's football month for sure. So it's not football kickoff time yet, but it is National Girlfriend Day. So make sure you show your, your girlfriend some love today, Bronner man, because it's National Girlfriend Day. I will keep that in mind. We'll, we'll also keep this in mind, Bronner. One of my favorite, if not 
well, it is my favorite character for the 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 comic books and for Marvel. It is Spider-Man Day. Spider-Man Day, huh? Yeah. Remember one thing. With great power comes great responsibility, Bronner. I, I guess I gotta ask you then. And I, I think I know I think I know you're gonna have the right answer to this, but who who is the best Spider-Man? The best Spider-Man? Hmm. Well, I, I'm I'm gonna go with the first one. Toby. Yeah, Joe, I'm gonna Joe go Maguire. Toby. That, that, that's that's the right answer. I'm I'm gonna go Toby. That's the I, right I definitely and, and, and it's also National Homemade Pie Day. National Homemade Pie Day. You know anybody that can make a, a homemade pie? Shoot, I gotta find I gotta find someone. <laughs> Get me a homemade pie. National Homemade Dang. Pie Day. It is exactly what it is. And, you know, I want to thank everyone for tuning in to the final drive today, of course. Check out our app. Check out our link. Check out our social media sites for that Vern Lundquist interview. Again, a great interview by Vern Lundquist given to us in regards to his most memorable calls and moments. want to thank Chris Gordy for Locked On SEC for jumping on with us along with John Hendricks covering the Saints course tomorrow will be at mobile county high school media days and we'll break down all of the breaking baseball trade deadline that ends here in about an hour danny vietti talking major league baseball tomorrow along with jason aponte talking about the san francisco 49ers we also have our wnsp now podcast throwing it deep i think you'll be throwing it deep tomorrow Bronner. so correct you want to make sure you stay tuned for that tomorrow as well we want to thank everyone for checking in with us here on the final drive this tuesday evening on wnsp 105.5 again check out the Vern lundquist interview it was a pleasure to interview such a sports hall of famer and the job that he's done check us out tomorrow on the final drive